Hi guys, Paul from the innovation community here. Today I'm with Nanda Padayachi, who is the head of AI automation and APIs at Standard Bank Group. Great to have you with us. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Paul. Just to start with, tell us a bit about yourself in a few words, Nanda. Um, yeah, um, so um, I've got a, a background in technology and, and business. Uh, I've always worked at the intersection of the two uh, once, once I dropped out of university. Um, but uh, yeah, a lifelong uh, career spent at, at Standard Bank. I'm fortunate to be blessed with uh, um, a loving family with a beautiful wife and two kids. And um, uh, yeah, spirituality is a, a, an important aspect of my life. So I've been vegetarian my whole life and try and live a, a very conscious and uh, pure as far as I can um, life and try and make a positive impact in the world. So where did your career working days to start? Um, so it's, it started probably around um, 2015, 2016. Um, I'd been in um, working at, I, I guess, tangentially with data for a long time. Um, and I never really paid a huge amount of interest to it and um, was looking for a, a new challenge. And uh, the things that I enjoyed doing is taking things that aren't quite mainstream, things that are more on the edge that need to become critical and create a critical focus around them in organizations. And so... Um, that's really where I started, you know, getting involved with data in a very substantial way, um, taking responsibility for the data infrastructure and technology we use across Standard Bank Group. And I fulfilled that role for, um, yeah, the better part of four years. So how has that role evolved over the four years? What's really changed about it? Um, so the, my, my appointment coincided with, um, you know, as I mentioned, we, we had recognized the need for data to become far more centric to everything we do in the organization. Um, and so, um, you know, it, um, we, we had made a, um, a very conscious decision to try and um, treat data as an asset and not just something that we have loads of, but how do we apply this very purposefully. And so... Um, we set up um, an, an operating model around data for the organization. We started a transformation from a technology and architecture perspective, and then started mobilizing um, very deliberately around the organization as to um, how we start to take advantage of the data opportunities that we had within the organization. So what are you up to in the current role over at Standard Bank? Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned at the intro, I now um, take responsibility for artificial intelligence, automation, and APIs. Um, I guess I, I got to the point where, um, you know, we'd done a lot of the, the groundwork and I wanted to take a more active role in working with data as the raw material um, and, and really, you know, try and um, process that um, to much greater value as opposed to just focused on the data pipelines and flows and governance and quality and management of data, but more working directly with the, the outputs of data um, and bringing that data context to get, together with my background from a digital and digitization perspective and really try and um, create a really strong, um, you know, synergistic relationship between um, what we're trying to achieve, you know, organizationally around client centricity, digitization, really breaking down silos around how we create and product offerings and service our customers. 
And that's a really good point to bring up. I think breaking down silos is a, is a huge challenge for any data professional. What are some of the, the best practices and the common pitfalls that you've seen uh, when you're, you're, you're trying to work more closely with the customer? Um, yes, I think, you know, as, as data professionals, it's easy to get um, sucked into this whole world of data. We have our own language. Um, you know, we, have our, we even talk around, you know, data literacy. We must become data literate. Um, we have our own, you know, way of thinking around things, our own way of applying technology. We've got dedicated databases and special tools, and we create, like, this whole aura around data. And I think, you know, what's really important is that, um, you know, all those things are, are critical, but on its own doesn't really serve a particular purpose. Um, and really connecting what's possible with data to what matters for customers is is really the, the sweet spot. And I think, you know, that's really where... Uh, certainly, we we've we try to gravitate more towards and, and seeing other leading organisations do the same. That it's not data is not this specialised thing on the side that you know a special group of people with uh, uh, you know with a special set of capabilities engage with, but something that becomes far more democratised and something that's consumed by everybody in the organisation in order to create value. So, at the heart of it, it sounds like you're very passionate. What really interests you about working with data? Um, so I think the, the the key thing for for me was more that um, there's in you know in the digital world in which we create the shadow of digital is data, um, and so we're creating all of this by you know just engaging with the world around us, irrespective of what organization we engage with, what services we consume, um, and how we can use those in a really um, positive manner to increase um, you know, customer experience, remove friction out of processes, um, and really take, you know, take the legwork out of a lot of things that we expect our customers to do um, in engaging with us. Um, and so using what they're already telling us, um, the insights that they're already sharing with us as trusted organizations, how do we use this to create a more compelling positive experience for them? That's fantastic. So uh, what would you describe as some of the major successes that you've achieved over your career? Um, so uh, I'd answer, you know, more in a context specific to data, given that that's the, the topic of, of discussion. Um, I think the, the first thing was, you know, um, you know, being part of that leading cohort that created this culture change within the organization that, you know, data was something that we all needed to take um, fundamentally seriously and that we couldn't be serious around digital and serious around client centricity without being serious around data. So just that shift in, in, in that shift in, in culture, that shift in consciousness for, uh, you know, not just leaders within the organization, but, you know, people at board level, et cetera, I thought, you know, I think was really, really valuable. Um, one of the other things I look back on with, you know, um, great degree of fondness was, um, you know, how we architected to, um, use what was, you know, the power of technology to create a far more compelling data experience. Um, and in doing that, take data from something that was super specialized and accessed by a handful of people to things where um, in a safe, secure, governed context, people could help themselves to the data, help themselves to the analytics and apply that to their own processes. So really being able to move from something that was very, very specialized to a more federated, democratized way of working with data. And, and similarly, what, tell us about a time that you affected some major change in a, uh, an organization and some of the challenges that came with that. 
Yeah, so I, I think you know the, the the transformation probably that we can refer to is the same one that you know we've been discussing now, where we're trying to make data centric to what we do within the organization. Um, and I think you know what what, what you know what certainly um, it was was our experience, and I think is you know many people who've been through similar transformations would acknowledge is that um, you know we often get consumed with the technology and we think that um, through the technology will solve all these problems. Um, the reality is that the technology is a vital and you know, critical component. Without the technology, none of you know, what we aspire to do would be possible. Uh, but at the same token, um, this is fundamentally a human transformation. And so how we make people um, comfortable, how we make people excited, how we help people see the opportunity um, and really start to imagine the world differently um, is, you know, is, is really what, you know, I've, I've found to be, um, yeah, the, the more often neglected aspects. And I'd say, you know, in all honesty, those are aspects that I too neglected um, in the midst of, you know, that type of transformation. But certainly in retrospect, um, you know, we, 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 we would have saved, yeah, we, we, we would have been far more, um, yeah, far more impactful with the scale of our transformation and the pace of that transformation if we had um, you know, balanced off both the need for technical and operating model and organizational structural transformation with really um, you know, connecting that in a very um, you know, humane manner where individuals saw the upside for them both um, you know, personally in terms of their own career, um, developing new skills, acquire, getting proficient with new technologies and really being able to be increasingly empowered in the roles that um, they fulfilled within the organization. Mm, that's great. And I think that a lot of what you touched on, especially at the, at the start, but also in your professional career is about is about human interaction, culture change, which as we know is is the main challenge. How would you describe your leadership style? Um, so it's, uh, it, it's uh, initially in my career, I was a very reluctant leader. Um, you know, I always thought, well, you know, somebody else would have a better idea or somebody else would do things differently. Um, and um, yeah, over time I developed you know, courage in my own convictions and um, I, I realized that I have a, a unique viewpoint and with the expertise that I developed you know, over my career, understanding technology, being able to link that to organizational outcomes, um, really being able to see the wood for the trees and being able to find a path through um, and you know, being able to take people through that was, was really got what, what got me excited. So yeah, I wasn't, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I wasn't, um, it wasn't something I, I, I gravitated towards initially, but it's something I became you know, very comfortable and very passionate around. And um, increasingly, you know, over my career, you know, grew into that. Um, and um, I, I like to you know, not just lead from a rhetoric perspective, but have, um, you know, be able to oscillate between the big picture and the detail and understand the, the dynamics of how things work ground up. And at the same time, be able to connect that with, um, you know, the C-suite board level. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, that's really, yeah, my leadership style is that it has to be based on substance. It has to be based on authenticity. And you have to have, you have to give, you know, people a compelling reason to join you on the journey. And that's, that's, that's great for, um, you know, team members, I think. But uh, I guess, do you change that approach for senior leadership? Because obviously people who might not be as data-driven might not be as bought into the journey. You know, maybe when you're approaching them with projects or, or with particular, you know, uh, growth initiatives. Yeah, I think it's a 
a good point. So I think it's not really the your leadership style that changes. I think it's more um, the way you coach your message and you know the narrative that you're using to land the point. Um, certainly, when you're dealing with more senior people, um, you know they want confidence that um, you know the detail is understood and taken care of, and you know uh, has been sufficiently provisioned for. Uh, what you know, what people, what senior leaders really want to see is that you know how this connects to uh, what the broader organizational objectives are. What are the objectives that they have for their business units and areas of influence, etc. And so, really being able to connect those two, um, you know, becomes really important. So, um, but you know, as I said, it, it wouldn't change the leadership style. I think you just, um, you know, we, we always talk around levels of of abstraction. Uh, and you have to be able to abstract your message based on the audience that you're dealing with. If you're dealing with a very detailed technical audience or you're dealing with a more conceptual audience, but the substance of the message shouldn't change and um, your approach as a leader shouldn't change because you have to have uh, a different communication style. Mm. Makes sense. I mean, within Standard Bank then, it sounds like you're doing a lot of really great things. Where do you see the biggest opportunity for improvement at the moment? Um, so I think with any large organization, it's really around creating consistency. Um, you want data to be able to flow seamlessly across, um, you know, throughout organizations um, or, you know, throughout the organization. And we are a large organization operating across, you know, a multitude of countries, predominantly across the African continent. So creating consistency for data to be able to harness, you know, to be harnessed effectively across the organization is key. And doing that in a manner that still protects, um, you know, the and adheres to the sovereign rights of, you know, respective countries. It does it in a manner that treats data securely, um, with, you know, um, with deference to, um, you know, privacy and other requirements that, you know, our customers and we expect of ourselves. Um, so I think, you know, there's there's certainly, um, you know, we we there's certainly a greater opportunity there for us to to fully realize that ambition. Um, and then I also spoke around the point of democratization of data. And I think, um, you know, we've had some great successes around that, particularly in things like, um, you know, business intelligence, self-service analytics, et cetera. Um, and we'd like to see that grow further, um, you know, beyond just those domains into, you know, more advanced capabilities like citizen data science, et cetera. And then also, um, you know, for data to power, not just um, the capabilities that are used by data professionals, but, you know, power a host of other processes, whether they're um, artificial intelligence processes, whether they're automation processes, whether they're the type of APIs that we're creating, um, or informing the type of interactions and discussions that we're having with our clients. You mentioned as well uh, that, that some of the mistakes you made during your, your journey were human related. What do you think was the biggest mistake you made during your career? Um, so I think. Um, it not uh, there's probably you know, there's 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 been a few but I think the one the one recurring theme which is a, a constant area of focus is really um, I think you know once sometimes we have a an idea we have a vision um, and we don't spend sufficient time creating that shared context for everybody to see the promised land in the same way that we do um, and I think it's uh, you know it's often human nature that once you once you in your mind sort of have a, a vision and a picture. Um, you think others would share that same passion immediately as soon as you describe that um, without giving people the opportunity to go through that same awakening process for themselves. And so I think, you know, that's really powerful is that, you know, the right idea ahead of its time is still, uh, is still the incorrect idea. 
Um, and so you, how, how you orchestrate for, um, you know, for that awakening to happen, um, you know, not just for yourself, but for others who are critical to the process becomes really, really key. Um, and um, again, uh, you know, recognizing uh, what the pitfalls may be in a particular transformation and recognizing the need to build momentum really, really quickly, I think is, you know, is essential. And I think that applies to any transformation, whether it's a data-driven transformation, a digital transformation, um, any kind of transformation, the need to build momentum, get credibility, create confidence, because it, in essence, what you're asking at any, with any transformation is for, for people to forego something that, you know, they, that they know has worked or may have worked for them in some context in the past and try something new. Um, and so people want confidence. And as humans, you know, even in the way that we communicate, we take so much more out of the nonverbal cues in terms of body language, um, you know, tone, emotion, et cetera. And so creating those signals to give confidence around the journey um, and really um, celebrating very um, vociferously um, when, you know, there are successes to be, to be celebrated, um, you know, is also important. And yeah, those are some of the points that, you know, come to mind in that regard. Very humbling. I'm sure the, the guys will appreciate that. Uh, a, a big one, a big topical one, the, the, the role of COVID-19 and, and how that's affected your organization, your, your working style, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, in, in truth, I think we've probably surprised ourselves um, in, in how quickly we've been able to respond, um, both in terms of, you know, the first priority, of course, being, you know, how we preserve the the health and well-being of our employees and the clients that we engage with, um, you know, given that we are a financial services institution, um, we have branches, clients, you know, need to be able to service their financial needs. Um, so being able to do that in a responsible fashion very quickly, I think, has been, has been key. And I think, you know, our government's also played a really exceptional role in taking a really strong and deliberate stance in terms of, um, yeah, what is expected and the role that each person needs to play um, to you know, preserve the common well-being of, of, of everybody as a, as a society. Um, and then coupled with that is, you know, we've, um, we, we've made investments for a long time in you know, cloud capabilities, et cetera. Um, and we've been able to leverage those to move towards uh, remote working from home for the vast majority of our employees where their work circumstances can allow for that to be the case. So even at this point in time, um, almost 80% of our workforce operate remotely, and that's been, you know, working very seamlessly. Um, and I think it's shown that, you know, um, yeah, work should be something you do rather than a place you have to go. And of course, we all are looking for new ways to collaborate and miss, you know, personal interaction. Uh, but at a point in time where, you know, we all need to sacrifice to maintain the well-being of each other and the nation, um, you know, this has proved a very effective alternative. And um, you know, and, and our customers have appreciated that as well, uh, that we've been able to continue to service them. And I think what's been, you know, especially, um, you know, especially pronounced is the role that, you know, we could play in supporting our customers through these processes, both in terms of, you know, granting access to credit for when um, in South Africa, we went through a three-month period where, you know, unless you were classified as an essential service, basically the economy was shut down, et cetera. And so really being able to be very agile in how we support our customers through those processes has been, you know, really, really yeah, inspiring to, to see and be part of and for, um, you know, uh, customers to feel that, that, that recognition. With that in mind, what's your top working from home tip? 
I think the, the most important thing is um, being able to uh, carve out time. Um, I think it's unrealistic to expect that you have the same uh, uninterrupted flow that you may have in an office environment. Of course, there's you know, many distractions. And if you, you've got kids at home, you've got you know, pets, you've got so many other things that are on the go, you've got deliveries coming through. So really just being able to compartmentalize your day and you know, giving yourself time in between. Um, so things like instead of hour meetings, 45 minute meetings, so people can, you know, attend to other stuff before the next meeting. I think, you know, those, it's the small, it's the small things that make a, a big difference in just, yeah, maintaining some flow throughout the day. Um, and, um, yeah, just, uh, being able to, um, recognize when you need to switch off and manage yourself, I think has become really, really important. Um, it's easy to get, you know, um, to, to, to give yourself um, very freely, um, you know, um, when um, you're working from home and um, dissolve boundaries. But I think it's also important to, um, yeah, to be very deliberate around, um, you know, what you, how you apply your energy in, in particular contexts. Makes a lot of sense. Do you have a, a routine while you're working at home? Or is it as simple as just uh, separating the personal and the professional? No, so I'm, 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 I'm a very unroutine person. I don't know what the opposite of routine is. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not very regulated as in by this time, this day, I start certain things. But um, I, I do, um, you know, I do like to begin my day with uh, meditation. So I at least do that. And then, um, yeah, I've got uh, two young kids who are at school. So my wife and I take them to school and then I'll start my work day after that. Uh, but yeah, I'm not so disciplined to like in my workday carve out two time, two hours for thinking time, and then you know, I, I prefer to be you know pretty fluid and see you know what my energy levels are, are needing at different points in time. But those two things I try and do every morning is my meditation every morning, and then spending some time with the family before they head off to school. That sounds like a, a good routine to me. <laughs> um, what's the best piece of advice you ever received? Um, yeah, there's been, there's been many, uh, I've been fortunate to have very, uh, many great mentors and, and leaders who I've worked with, uh, through the course of my career. Um, I think the, 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 the piece of advice that, you know, stood out for me the most was, um, really just trust yourself. Um, that, um, you know, I think often we, um, um, yeah, we, 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 we don't really, um, we don't really fully appreciate all the, the talents and opportunities that we may have and um, that how unique a perspective we may have around certain situations. So, um, and especially for someone like me, who you know, I mentioned was a reluctant leader to begin with that confidence around um, you are good enough is, you know, was, 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 you know, was, was really, uh, was, yeah, was really important. And, um, and um, yeah, and I've seen that, um, you know, if you apply yourself to a situation, of course, uh, we, we're never in control uh, of, you know, of control of the outcome. But, you know, if we can look back and say we made the best decisions uh, as best we could with the information we had at hand, our intentions were pure in what we looked to do. Um, and how we went about doing things, we tried to be as inclusive as we could be in what, in, in, in what we did. Um, then, you know, uh, there's always factors outside of control, but uh, you look at that and say, yeah, I wouldn't have done too much differently. And so that's, you know, that's important that you, you really bring your, your true self. And, um, and I think also create the space for others to be there, you know, their, their, their full authentic self. Sometimes we say that, you know, we say that glibly, but um, not everybody has access to the same opportunities, especially 
in a country like South Africa, which has, you know, so much inequality, we've got the highest inequality in the world. Um, you know, we have to make a deliberate effort to, to allow for, to allow for people to step into their power. And so, um, yeah, those are things that are really important for me. That's a very wise words. Moving forward, what are you curious about right now? Um, so, uh, uh, of course, you know, AI is a huge field. Um, and, uh, yeah, just seeing how the field is developing, both in terms of, you know, the academic angle and, and what's being pursued there, um, as well as what's being applied in industry and seeing, um, you know, how that's playing out. Um, excuse me, the whole topic of, of, of ethics is a massive topic of interest for me at the moment. Um, not just from, you know, what we do around artificial intelligence, et cetera, but if we look at, you know, what's possible with technology now in the whole field of, you know, bioethics, um, and, you know, if we look at just, you know, society at large, um, you know, I mentioned the point around, you know, inequality. Um, so all these points around, you know, just a, a more ethical, sustainable, compassionate way of life and, and, and how that could be how that could be realized and what role technology could play in that are real topics of interest at this point. Fantastic stuff. So uh, whether it's in the data space or, or more generally, who is your favorite thought leader or author? Um, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's a bit difficult to say. I'm, I'm very much, uh, um, I, I don't know how I'd categorize it as almost a nibbler. Um, so, you know, I don't consume like, you know, I won't sit with like a pile of books, um, but uh, I, I, you know, so I'm a big fan of Blinkist as an example and just working through conceptually different thought models, uh, you know, consuming lots of different stuff like on Medium, different podcasts, um, you know, for anybody in the technology space, the A16, A16Z podcast by Andreessen Horowitz. Um, you know, it's really great. So I spend, you know, a lot of time on that. And uh, yeah, just uh, a lot of, um, a lot of stuff on, on psychology, strangely. Um, I, I never, uh, <laughs> I've sort of fallen into it, um, having spent a bit of time at Stanford and seeing the, the, the basis for how psychological research, you know, informs so much. So whether it's, you know, things like growth mindset or, you know, human behavior. Um, so, um, yeah, those are, those are key, you know, areas of interest, but no particular, you know, no particular author that, you know, this person comes out with a book, I'm in line to go and buy it. Um, you know, it's not my style. Last question. What advice would you give for aspiring leaders in data? Um, <laughs> so it's going to sound contrarian, um, but uh, my advice would be that it's not about the data. Um, so, which I, I, I think is, is really as, 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 as data professionals is, is something we often need reminding of that, um, yeah, it's not about the data. It's about the outcome that we want to create. And the data is a tool to achieve that outcome. Um, but we, we can easily get fixated around the data. So trying to, um, trying to remain yeah, equipoised around that and, um, you know, don't torture the data. Um, yeah, it's, it's, not about, uh, it's not about the data. Great. <laughs> that was Nanda Padayachi, who is the head of AI automation and APIs at Standard Bank Group. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Paul. I appreciate it.